One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. It's my screen time too. Welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming, from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Deborah, And I'm Katie. And I have three kids. Tony is 11 and Libby and Nate are eight. And I have two kids, Jay is five and Kenny is two. And today we are joined by Jess Meyer, creator and host of Only You, a one and done podcast. On Only You, she talks with her husband and guests about making the decision to have an only child, explores the stigma surrounding it, and shares stories from others who have made the same decision. It's a wonderful community surrounding an under-discussed topic in the parenting world. Welcome, Jess. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We're really happy to have you here. Um, first of all, do you want to tell us where you can, where we can follow you and find your podcast? Sure. So uh, you can find our podcast anywhere you find your podcasts. Um, we are most active on Instagram at Only You Podcast. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at Only You, a one and done podcast, or our website, onlyyoupodcast.com. And if you have thoughts on having an only child, you can actually always email us to be featured on the show at onlyupod at gmail.com. Thank you. And how old is your little? She's actually just 18 months. Oh, Oh, so cute. (laughs) It is so fun. So I'm in kind of a unique position that I decided to be one and done pretty shortly after she was born. And I found that there actually wasn't a ton of support or um, community around that decision. And so I decided to create it. I love that. Yeah. So we like to tell a quick story at the beginning of the podcast about our kids, just to get the momming out of the way right up front. Uh, So we like to tell a little story about something adorable or awful that our children have done in the past week. So Deborah, do you want to start us off? Sure. So on Saturday morning, Tony, my 11 year old was up super early, like 630. And I like to get up early too. So after I'd been up for a little while, I checked on him and he had his computer and I was like, can I check your browser history? Because I just wanted to make sure he wasn't watching like stupid YouTube videos. Like he's allowed to have it to like read because we like to follow that screen time pyramid. And he was doing his math homework at 6.30 on a Saturday morning. Sometimes you're just struck by the idea that, like, you're doing it right. I'm just going to remind myself of that every day. I love it. As you should. As you should. All the backpats to you. (laughs) What a different aspect of motherhood that I haven't even considered yet. Having to check the browser history. Wow. Yeah, same, same, for sure. (laughs) How about you, Jess? Do you have a fun story? You know, uh, Penny's just starting to learn how to talk. And so basically the cutest thing she does right now is she's kind of learned how to say like her ooh sounds. So now whenever she's hungry or she wants to share her food with the dog, she'll say food, (laughs) 
food Aww. and she says it in just this funny little way or she'll say shoes <laughs> <laughs> and to me that is just the most adorable thing she's doing right now I can't get enough of it shoes. <laughs> <laughs> that is really cute so they had costume day on Friday at their school and I let Jay pick out his own costume. It was the first time that we didn't just automatically recycle that year's Halloween costume. So he went to the costume box. He got to pick whatever he wanted. And he picked this astronaut outfit that was like size 2T to 3T. But he insisted that it still fit. So it was like up to his knees. But to his credit, he made it work. He made it fit. It was a warm enough day that I wasn't worried about him being cold. But it did look faintly ridiculous. It's one of those moments where you just have to imagine, at least, that the other parents are also dealing with weird wardrobe decisions made by their own children. (laughs) So they're not going to judge you too harshly. Maybe it was a statement on how, like, the space program is underfunded. I love it. Yes, yes. I feel like a dodo because it's my turn to introduce the screen time in the news segment. And now I'm looking at it and I'm not even sure I read it. Deborah, is there any chance that you want to introduce our screen time in the news segment? Sure. So the article was published in USA Today and it's titled Kids and Screen Time, How Parents Can Manage During Prolonged Pandemic. This is a recurring theme during our screen time in the news section. And I wanted to read this article as a bit of a follow-up to the last article we read, which was really a downer. And this is a more practical article that gives actual tips about how to manage screen time and not feel like you've ruined your children's lives with all the screen time they've gotten in the pandemic. So at the end of the article, it has some good suggestions like some dumb suggestions like pick up a book or play a game or do a puzzle. <laughs> because kids will be so easily swayed to that alternative. Mm-hmm. And also like, I've never thought about that. Yes. Oh, books. Yeah. <laughs> Basic, there's like a heading up called create some new routines. And it's basically like using the screen as a carrot to get your kids to do stuff, which I do all the time. A reminder to take the devices away at night because it can disrupt sleep and sleep quality and be a good example for your kids. Did you have any takeaways, Jess? You know, the screen time thing, it's on my mind all the time. Like we're really trying to not let her watch too much Mickey Mouse Clubhouse right now, but we both work from home. We both own businesses and sometimes it's just like the easiest babysitter right now because we, we are in a pandemic like we can't have her grandparents come over and help out or her aunts and uncles I do like that that thought about not using it as a carrot was that the takeaway to not use it as a reward system or was it that we should be using it as a reward system um I think it was like make sure all the essential like don't let your kids have screen time until their homework is done Right. Okay. I see what you mean. I think she's a little bit young for that. Yeah. She doesn't yeah. understand. She doesn't see the correlation. No, not at all. I feel like we're just on the precipice of that transition, like being able to link screen time to things like chores and good behavior in a way that like Jay understands and he's five. So I think you've got some time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I just, I guess to me, it just 
it's nice to know that other parents are struggling with this balance too, because in, in the toddler world, there's like a lot of judgment out there about the things you're not supposed to be doing. And there's this push to like wooden toys and Montessori. And when you have an only child, you have to walk that line between like not always being their playmate as well. And so getting a child to independently play with wooden toys while you're trying to work from home. <laughs> I don't know how people do that. I haven't been successful yet, but it's, yeah, it's nice to know other people are struggling with this too, honestly. This is kind of an aside, but I found that some shows really help my kids. And this was a while ago, really helped my kids play by themselves. Like they loved Paw Patrol. And then we got a set of the Paw Patrol figurines and they would, you know, watch a show and then they would play for a long long time with the branded Paw Patrol. That's interesting toy. actually. So sort of using like what they learned in the TV show and then using their imagination with the toys. Yeah, so I, I feel like great. toddler preschool age it wasn't so bad to watch a show and then have the toys and it kind of all helped them develop like some imaginative ways to create their own plot and setting. Mm -hmm. That's great. I mean, that's very validating for me. Maybe I'll get her like a little Mickey Mouse toy or something. Yeah, <laughs> a wooden one. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, it would really be best if you'd whittle it yourself. So. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I'll get out in the yard, find some naturally sourced wood. <laughs> well, if there's anything that we have learned and continue to learn in our screen time in the news segments, it's that there will never be a shortage of outlets that will make you feel bad for the decisions you are making regarding your children and screen time, in addition to everything else. Yes. Thank you. That is so true. <laughs> We need to do a screen time for parents segment where we just stop reading parenting articles because who are those serving at this point? <laughs> you know point. what my iPhone would tell me about my screen time usage then if I like stopped reading terrifying parenting articles? It would be like, your screen time was down 98% last week. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> Because you stopped making yourself feel bad. Just a tiny bit of follow-up from our last episode in which we talked about the movie Finding Ohana on Netflix. I took my kids geocaching, and I will maintain that the tagline for geocaching should be this. Just picking up garbage on the side of the road and hoping it's the right garbage and not old needles or something. That is it. <laughs> That is what geocaching amounts to, at least here where I live. Like, you'll go to the point where the geocache is supposed to be. There'll be, like, a pile of literal trash, like, discarded face masks and empty bottles. And you're like, I'm not sure it seems safe to let my children pick through this with their hands looking for some sort of dubious treasure that's supposed to be there. So, yeah, big disappointment. That doesn't sound fun at all. No. Yeah. Um, and then something that makes it worse, I got a nice little text from a friend in the Pacific Northwest who took her kids geocaching and they're like on this beautiful trail with this like well-maintained wooden box that says geocache in big letters on the side. <laughs> I was going to say, actually, I'm in the Pacific Northwest and the geocaching community seems to be very strong here and 
they do whittle the boxes, unfortunately. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the movie we watched. Jess is here to help us review Black Beauty, which debuted in November on Disney Plus last year, 2020. It was adapted for the screen and directed by Ashley Avis. I haven't seen anything else that she's done, but I peeked at her profile enough to be bummed that she's significantly younger than Katie and me. <laughs> but it is great to see women behind the camera, especially in telling a story that is so dear to many girls' hearts. Black Beauty is based on an 1877 novel by English author Anna Sewell. According to Wikipedia, there have been 50 million copies sold, and Black Beauty is one of the best-selling books of all time. I did not realize it was this old. Wikipedia also informed me that it was not originally written for children, but as a plea for the ethical treatment of horses. It stars, the movie we watched on Disney Plus stars Mackenzie Foy, who is also very young, and but she's been in a ton of stuff like Nutcracker in the Four Realms, the Twilight movies, Interstellar. She voiced Violet in a boxcar children movie. Other talent in the cast includes Kate Winslet, she was the horse, and Claire Forlani. And it's the story of the bond between a horse, Black Beauty, and a spirited teen. We picked it because Jess is here and we needed a show or movie that starred an only child. Only children are kind of an underrepresented lot in kids' shows and movies. Writers favor the easy comedy to be mined in sibling relationships. So we were happy to find an only child story to discuss on today's show, especially a remake of a classic. We love reboots from our child. <laughs> There's childhood. plenty to choose from these days. Yes. <laughs> All right. So let's start with talking a little bit about the the original or any of the previous film adaptations. There have been a ton. Have you guys either read the original book or experienced one of the earlier film adaptations? I haven't. I was coming into this with no expectations at all. I remember hearing about the book a lot, so I sort of knew that it was about a horse, mm -hmm. generally speaking, but I didn't know anything else about the plot. Yeah, I have read a like a picture book or an easy reader book that's an adaptation of the story, but I have not seen any of the films. All right, so we all came to it fairly fresh, with which I think is probably pretty rare. So with that in mind, just basic first question, did you like it? I, I didn't like it very much because it was so sad. I, ah, it was heartbreaking. Like the beginning part, it was sort of like that beginning of a horror movie thing where the beginning is like all beautiful and things seem to be going well for the horse and for the girl. And then the second half of the movie is so dark. <laughs> it's just like, isn't this a Disney movie? Like, <laughs> can we get back to like the happy part? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think it was like a well-made movie. But for me personally, it was very sad. And we discuss a lot how I, in particular, am just never in the correct mindset for a sad movie. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Deborah? I liked it. I thought, well, I liked aspects of it. I really liked the story. 
I liked the development of the relationship between Joe and Black Beauty. And of course, yes, it was super heartbreaking, but I really only like to feel my emotions when I'm like reading a book or watching a movie. I don't like to feel my emotions in real life. So this was like the appropriate amount of cathartic sadness for me. I did some idle Wikipediaing and just like internet research before the episode about the original book and how it was structured. And I thought it was interesting that it was essentially like a collection of stories about this one horse, but it wasn't necessarily centered on a specific relationship. So every adaptation that has come after has seized on a portion of the book and essentially fleshed that out to be the primary relationship in Beauty's life. And I read that before I watched the movie and I wonder if I had that in my head as I was watching it because I found it strangely hard to emotionally connect with Beauty's through line because it was very choppy, right? She had this early part of her life with her mother and then she had like the bulk of the story that was her learning to trust her girl partner why is her name escaping me joe Joe. but then you know she had all these other parts in her life where she was owned by other people i just i felt myself checking out like there wasn't enough of a through line for me is that weird i kind of see that yeah i i felt like there wasn't a ton of payoff ever like they didn't they didn't get deep enough in any of the other relationships for me to like it was always like I'll get back to Joe. I'll get back to Joe. And it never really let us care about any other character, literally. So we're spending all this time with all these other characters. I don't even remember their names hardly because she was just talking about Joe. Yeah, excuse me. I wanted an entire movie about Beauty being a rescue horse in yes! the mountains, rescuing <laughs> people from rapids. That was That was awesome. like a side note. And I was like, this is crazy. Here is your movie. I don't want to know about Joe's dalliance with the rich boy down the street. Show yes. me more of the rescue scenes. Totally. Also, like, why was that whole family British? I don't get it. <laughs> like, where, what's their backstory? What is dressage? I don't know. Like, none of this stuff was explained. And then there was that whole part with the with the rich people that came to the farm to, like, lease horses. And there are those two girls that were mean to Joe. They never got names. And that boy, who was he? None of them ever got names. I never got to understand why we would even care if they didn't like Joe. Like, I feel like they really did a disservice in that a lot of the characters didn't get any any names, any backstories. We had no reason to care about them. So every time their scenes would happen, I'd be sort of like, who is this? I don't get this. Yes, and even weirder, because those were characters in what was ostensibly the part of the plot they had decided to focus on. Like, did right. we ever really even know what the mission of the stables was like occasionally Jora Mormont was teaching lessons to people about Mustangs, <laughs> but it also seemed like snobby rich people had their horses there. So sure. it, it was really unclear. Like they couldn't have just given us a little expository sentence when Joe first came to live there. Right. And then there was that other guy who owned it, but also her uncle owned it. Like who's in charge here? We don't know. Yeah. It doesn't it didn't seem like the uncle could make any of those calls. It seemed like that other guy who never got a name. He was making all the calls. Yeah. <laughs> who is he? I don't know. Is he related to them? Yeah, I think the original novel probably had more like there was a lot about 
class, you know, because Joe and her uncle, like he was the laborer on the, in the stable world. And like the, I think the other guy was the owner. Mm -hmm. So I think in a novel written in the late 1800s, like class would have been a bigger deal. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That is definitely It seemed like maybe it wanted to be a period piece, but they, they made it modern. So it, it was like some things would have made sense in the late 1800s, but because it was now modern day, it sort of maybe got lost in translation a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yes, like that whole section where they didn't know how to modernize it. So they were like, and for a while there, Black Beauty went and worked on an old timey farm where she had to pull a plow. <laughs> yeah. like, in 2020? Yeah. Where? <laughs> I don't get this. <laughs> But who knows? Honestly, I left it thinking like, we should be protecting horses, you know? And so if that was the point of the movie, and it sounds like maybe that was the point of the original book, they did a pretty great job. Sort of like, um, did you guys see that movie about the gorilla, Ivan? No, No, we haven't watched that one yet. Oh, okay. So similarly, that one, the takeaway is sort of like how we're treating uh, circus or zoo animals, you know? So it's kind of a similar concept where... Maybe there's some kids out there, some young adults who are going to be thinking differently about how we're treating horses in general. And that's always a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely made me think differently about all the like tourist carriage horses that I see. Yeah, yeah, totally. Jess, do you feel like this movie said anything particularly valuable or unique about the experience of being an only child? One of the sort of dark inside jokes that I have with my listeners and co-host is that in movies and TV, the only reason, the only reason people are allowed to have only children is if one or both parents have died or one or both parents are really high level business executives. Those are the two stereotypes. Obviously there's always exceptions. But sort of it's like a, once you see it, you can't unsee it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, right off the bat, not knowing the story, I was like, oh, okay. So we've already got one of those checked off. So that was like something I always note because it seems like in the media, there always has to be a good reason to be an only child. And that it just feels unfair to a lot of us who, who have reasons that aren't those two things that aren't so intense. But after that, another thing that we see a lot is that only children tend to find their tribe or their community. Mm -hmm. And I did appreciate how at the very end of the movie, she was still hanging out with um, the same folks from the stables in the in the first part. So she she married the British guy. British? Don't know. Rich. (laughs) You know how sometimes like East Coast really rich people sort of have that english sounding accent so like i don't know if they are british anyway she married that guy but then weren't a couple people who were at the original stable like still part of their community in some way yeah i mean her uncle was definitely still there her uncle yeah and i thought maybe one of the younger folks like one of the farm hands or something oh yeah was that there curly haired boy that was always yeah running from yeah the he was still there so there's always that that piece where they find a family like kind of a they piece together this patchwork family and then stay with them forever. And so I always do appreciate that a lot. I think it's a really sweet thing that a lot of only children can 
take away from like even if you don't have siblings you can create these kinds of relationships in other ways so I did like that and then she was very strong-willed and confident and bold and courageous and those are always only child stereotypes that I like that aren't spoiled and bratty and (laughs) all these negative things that the media sometimes portrays. Right, definitely. You had your classic spoiled bratty child that was one that had a sibling. Yeah, she totally. was awful. Yeah, she was the worst. <laughs> Georgina. Oh, yeah. Yes. George and Georgina, seriously? Oh, I was didn't that even their realize names? that. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? Was that the names like in the book? I need to I need to look that up. That's not good. (laughs) That's lazy. (laughs) So speaking of how things originally were in the book, I did read that the Joe character from the book was originally a man. So they regendered Joe to be a girl. And I wondered if either of you had any thoughts about how that dovetailed with our really gendered expectation for liking horses as children like I feel like that's a uniquely it's coded as being girlish to go through a horse phase or to want to try horseback riding I was actually expecting the whole time because they talked about her being in school so the whole time I was expecting them to flash to a school scene where she was being made fun of for being a horse girl, because that is such a common stereotype that um, girls get really, really into horses and are drawing horses all the time. But it never really talks about why she's having a hard time in school or like it's alluded to that she's getting into fights at school or whatever. So I was definitely expecting something like that. And I was kind of glad that they didn't go there. They, They let the horses be sort of an upper class thing, a middle class thing, just something all girls and boys can enjoy. So I, I kind of appreciated that. I didn't see that it was super heavily gendered because it seemed like both boys and girls were enjoying it the same way. Mm-hmm. Do you think they would ever make the same movie with a boy as the protagonist? I think I think it would go a little bit differently. You know, I, I think that it would be more like a rugged cowboy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a coming of age. The horse and I both can't be stopped by anything and I think they would end up running away together and like maybe Mm -hmm. camping out in the woods or something or it just occurred to me racehorsing they could go like the sea biscuit angle totally then it's okay for boys to like horses then it would be fine yeah (laughs) nothing nothing too emotional right um and if it is emotional it has to be competitive in some way Did we have any thoughts about the casting? Is there anyone that you liked in particular? I really liked the actress who played Joe Mackenzie Foy. She reminded me of like a young Anne Hathaway, like a Princess Diaries era Anne Hathaway. I liked her a lot too. I thought she did a really great job. Uh, My husband recognized somebody from Game of Thrones. Yeah, her her uncle. And I feel bad I don't know the actual actor's name. I just referred to him as Jorah Mormont because that was his character (laughs) on Game of Thrones. I apologize if you're listening to this podcast. You're probably not. (laughs) Well, I thought he did a great job, too. I have not seen it, but um, I thought he was pretty great. I liked that he was sort of not very emotional. Um, He seemed really guarded. 
And I don't know, like I said, I feel like there was a lot of things that they glossed over. Like we don't even know, was it his sister that was her parent or his brother? No idea. Like, were they into horses? Like, did they all come from a farm background? And then like they went and moved off to the city. We don't even know where she grew up. Was she from New York? I don't like I would have loved to know a little bit more of a backstory, but I sort of figured that they wanted it to be from the horse's perspective. So the horse didn't know all of those things. So we're kind of seeing everything from the eyes of the horse. Like we never even got to see the inside of their house. That's true. So I, I thought that's maybe that was a choice. Point. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, wow. I guess I'm just dead inside that I was totally unable to like connect with beauty as the protagonist <laughs> of the story. Like I just, I don't know. My my heart wasn't in it with her. And that's despite loving Kate Winslet, who I do truly love. And they went out of their way. They Again, they regendered the character because Black Beauty in the book, and as far as I know, in all previous film adaptations was a boy horse no way yeah wow see going into it I thought Black Beauty was a female horse even just having like this sort of perspective of culturally knowing about it I always assumed Black Beauty was a female horse that's so interesting this is a very superficial observation but I think that the white star on Black Beauty's forehead was painted on because it was so consistent throughout the film. Did you notice that? I definitely did not notice that, but I love it. It's a detail that I love. I like that too. I have a black dog. um, And so maybe that's why I identified with the horse because I sort of was like, oh, it's like a giant Sandro, you know, like, you just want somebody to love, you know, because when you have a dog, you sort of assume they have human emotions as well. So maybe I was connecting to her a little bit on that level. I love that you're trying to excuse it. The problem isn't that you formed an emotional connection with the horse, as was intended. It was that I was unable to do so. I fell in love with the horse, okay. (laughs) Penny's getting a pony. She's going to be the stereotypical only child. We're getting her a pony. (laughs) I'm rethinking, like, letting her ride the horses at uh, the ocean. Like, here in the Northwest, if you go to the beach, um, you can, like, rent out a horse for a couple of hours. Big part of my childhood. It's really fun. You just ride them on the beach through the waves or whatever. It's really cool. Now I'm like, is that cruel? Am, am I contributing to this? I don't know. I'd like to see the stable they keep these horses in. It makes me think of that old Portlandia sketch where they are asking like where their chicken comes from at the totally. restaurant and then they need to go to the <laughs> yes. farm and then yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to prove to me that this horse is treated well before I pay to ride it for an hour. Exactly. <laughs> What did we think about the look of the movie? Let's take a step back from the emotional aspects of it, because clearly I'm incapable. Um, it was beautiful. It was beautifully nice. shot. Those scenes in the water with the horse pounding through the sand were really beautiful. And I thought the city scenes were really affecting, too, just to see the harshness of the conditions. It was gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful movie, beautiful cinematography. At times, I thought that the acting wasn't the best, like a little bit wooden, but the scenery and the filming of the horse and that all totally made up for it. 
Yeah, and they did such a good job making the stable, like whatever that main place was, feel like a really safe home for beauty. Like I noticed whenever we would go back to that farm, it had more of like a soft focus and there was a lot of like wood everywhere and it was warmer feeling. Um, So, and like it was always dusk you know, like golden hour. I just feel like they did a really good job making that place seem like a magical place for her to be. I have a question. Hmm. Are there wild horses anymore? Is that a, is that still something that's happening like in Montana or something? I think there are little pockets of them. Like I feel like there's some wild mustangs on an island off the coast of Georgia. Hmm, look at that. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. And I think there, I mean, in the like Southwest, there's a ton of Bureau of Land Management land. And I think that is another place where wild Mustangs can run kind of free. I think too, it's one of those things that there is a concerted effort by certain organizations in the American Southwest to like repopulate the wild horse uh, population, not to use that word It's just not something I've ever heard of. Like I've heard of um, wolves them trying to like boost up the wolf populations or deer like there's all these different wild animals they're trying to manage I just I wasn't sure about horses I've certainly never seen a wild horse that was the interesting thing about Joe's ambition in the movie too it was oh there are all these wild horses that are rounded up and sold off and so it's going to be my goal to save these wild horses and put them on my ranch in New York State Right. When, like, why wasn't the goal to, like, maybe stop them from being cruelly rounded up <laughs> and sold to begin with? Sure. And how did she get that property back? Well, she like... married the rich guy. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Okay. So he just, like, scooped it right back up. I see. I thought that was a sweet little payoff at the end, though, when, when she went to rescue Beauty and then she had the little ring on her finger because it was it was more focused on her and and her bravery and her um loyalty to this horse and then he was sort of just like a secondary thing it wasn't like oh i'm gonna come in and save the day for you it was like he fell in love with her and helped her achieve this dream that she had so it was very focused on her and i thought that was pretty empowering for the young women watching this yeah and i feel like it's nice too when you're talking about screen time for girls of a certain age uh it's nice to see something that doesn't necessarily foreground the love story like it's there and if a girl wants to focus on it that's fine but um it's obviously not central to joe's purpose in life right i have a note here to talk about the length and structure of the movie i already kind of said my piece about how i felt about it jumping around so much from beauty's different owners and I found it to be choppy and hard to connect with did you guys have any other thoughts on the length or structure was it long I don't I don't know how long it was it was one hour 50 minutes and in our experience 90 minutes is a better length for a children's movie yeah (laughs) when it was over I told my husband that it felt long yeah And I think there's a difference, too, between being long and feeling long. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, Jess. To me, it felt long. I think they could have cut down a lot of the middle parts. I felt like they could have stuck to maybe three different places that Beauty ended up. And that would have helped me to kind of connect those stories. But like when she was at that really dingy stable at the end, or like you were talking about with the weird 
Old World Farm. There were just a couple of ones that I was sort of like, we could have just taken this one out for the sake of the story. And she could have said something like, I traveled through a few more places between this time and this time and ended up here. Like we didn't need to see it maybe. Yeah. Like I feel like maybe they just put too much in there for, for me to have to sit through basically. I would have watched a sequel that was a horse and it's park ranger owner. 100%. <laughs> yes, co-signed. I would have watched that for a really long time. That is so interesting. And I didn't even know that was a thing, but but as I was watching it, I was like, that's kind of brilliant. And it gave, also, sorry, side note, remember when Beauty got her like hoof damaged? Yeah. And she needed surgery, but they never gave her that surgery. And then she just immediately started being a rescue horse. Like, did it, did she get, a, did she get help? <laughs> we don't know. They uh, covered so much, yeah. but they didn't cover that. <laughs> so much and yet so little. <laughs> yeah. The whole time I was like, well, did we fix her, her hoof though? Because she shouldn't be out there in the mountains with like a bad leg. Terry, the, the park ranger guy, he seemed like he wouldn't you know, intentionally hurt the horse. So I, I think maybe he paid for the surgery. That's that's what I'm going to go with. Yes, I like this alternative story where <laughs> Terry is the hero all along. <laughs> so let's move on to our evergreen questions. Were you either of you able to compare it to any adult movie or show? I'm going to jump in right away because of what we were just saying about Beauty's injuries and how we found it frustrating that they never dealt with that. Do you remember very briefly there was a David Milch show on HBO? I don't even remember that what it was called. It may have been called Luck, but it was about horse racing. Yes, yes. and they had to shut it down because the horses kept dying. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, horribly unethical treatment of animals, but also one quite major plot point, as I recall, was like, Every time a horse flipping trips, essentially its leg breaks and they had to kill it. Like, yikes. It was uh, very sad to me. And I was expecting that from Beauty right away. Like, she stepped on that puddle and I was like, well, I guess it's curtains. (laughs) Hope they have another black horse they can paint a little triangle on. I have never seen that. That sounds awful, though. I will not be watching that. Oh, no, don't. Because, like... Obviously, none of the plots were able to resolve because they had to cancel the show so quickly. And also, it was kind of a terrible idea. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I related it to, uh, did you guys see Isle of Dogs, the Wes Anderson movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's an adult movie that features animals talking, um, which, I mean, there aren't a lot, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not really an adult thing. So just the way that they sort of humanized the dogs and gave them their own like little life experiences and wisdoms and things like that. I I sort of could see the correlation there. And also that sort of um, conflict with humanity in general. Mm -hmm. I thought of I Am Legend (laughs) with Smith, German Shepherd vehicle. Totally. (laughs) That is one that makes me feel feelings. Hey, there we go. So Jess, we like to cast the gritty HBO reboot where we just imagine if this, if Black Beauty were an adult show, who would play the characters? So often we're like recasting children with adult actors and reimagining it. Um, Katie, do you want to start? 
Uh, I mean, well, obviously, I would switch Joe back to his original gender and have him being played by John Cho. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> He's one of our favorites. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, whenever I can't come up with anyone else, I just uh, go back to that old well. <laughs> but I'm trying to think if there's someone whose voice I just really enjoy listening to, and I would like to hear voice Black Beauty. I don't know. David Tennant has like a really nice accent. I hate to mm. switch them back to dudes, though. Like, I feel like I should pick a woman. How about you? What do you think? Um, I didn't even get into casting Black Beauty, um, but I would have cast the uncle as Francis McDormand. <gasps> yes, nice. perfect. And I've been watching It's a Sin on HBO, and there's a younger actress named Lydia West who's on that. She's got a great range. So I would cast her as Joe. I would cast George as I would cast Andrew Rannells as George just because I thought they looked alike. <laughs> that would be like a nice comedic take on it. I take it. <laughs> and then um, I thought of the woman who played the queen in Secret Society of Secondborn Royals. That actor's name is Elodie Young, and I would cast her as Georgina because she has a very posh accent. How about you, Jess? Do you have any thoughts of ideal casting? Well, I only thought of Joe. I, I didn't think about the horse either. I guess in my gritty HBO remake, the horse doesn't talk because that's okay. just, that's not HBO to me, right? Yeah, you're so right. the horse, like, we're just using the characters to describe the horse's story because it's like we're adults. So I chose Kristen Stewart for Joe because I sort of got the same vibe from them, like when Joe was older, especially kind of that brooding, like emotional vibe. Mm -hmm. um, and then one of you had mentioned that. Joe, the character that plays her, was in the Twilight series. Yeah, she played Kristen Stewart's daughter in the Twilight movies. Hey, yeah. so see, I wasn't oh, too far yeah. off. Yeah, that yeah. was good. So was it better when we were kids? Did you guys go through horse phases? I don't have like a huge back catalog in my head of horse movies that I watched growing up. I did watch an adaptation of The Black Stallion a lot. And I remember liking it because I liked the whole like desert island setting sure. a lot but I I actually uh traveled to Montana to see extended family a few different summers as a kid and I did ride horses and I spent probably cumulatively like a year you know over all these different summers with horses I would say I felt a huge kinship to horses growing up and I did take like some riding lessons and we would always go ride them at the beach and then in the Pacific Northwest, you can also go on trail rides with horses. So they were a part of my childhood for sure. Um, but I was never to the point where like, I was obsessed with them. Mm -hmm. Like some other girls were, you know, like, like when Joe was drawing them in her journal or whatever, <laughs> like I do remember those girls. But for me, I was actually kind of priced out of that. Um, in, in my area, at least, being into horses is kind of like a, like a rich person thing because um, mm -hmm. you have to be able to have horses. Like I did have this family with a ranch in Montana, but that was more like working horses. Um, here near to the city, if you have access to horses, that's because you can afford to have them like stabled somewhere or whatever. So it was just never really in my world. I would have loved to watch this movie when I was a kid. I'm not quite sure it was better when we were kids because I spent a lot of time watching the Nickelodeon show, Hey Dude. <laughs> I think I 
quite a bit older than you, Jess. So yeah. you might not remember. I'm not sure. No. I've never heard of Hey Dude. I, I definitely remember Hey Dude. <laughs> <laughs> it took place on a dude ranch. It was just a silly show, but I loved it. So would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? No. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> I will not be watching this again. <laughs> 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids. I'll go first. I think it's fine for kids. Um, my daughter watched it with me and she was really into it. So I think if you've got an animal lover or a horse lover, they would be into it, but be prepared to explain the sad parts. Yeah. And definitely for kids as young as mine, the plot, there wasn't enough of a plot through line. I think they have to be a little bit older probably. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great movie for a very specific age range, like um, maybe between nine and 13 or so. It's great. Uh, anything younger than that, I don't think they're going to be able to focus. Anything older than that, it's just not a good enough movie to really make you want to watch it. So for right. that age, yes, I think it's a good movie. And especially for kids who are interested in animals and uh, the treatment of animals, especially. So ratings, we like to rate things on a scale of one to five. One is terrible. Five is outstanding. I'd do a three right in the middle. I mean, it wasn't the most spectacular movie, but it also wasn't like the cringiest thing I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. I'd go a little higher. I would give it four stars. How about you, Katie? I almost want to give it 2.5 because I give a lot of things threes mm -hmm. just for being middle of the road, but I think this tended more towards active dislike from me just because yeah. I couldn't get into it. So all over the board on our ratings there. <laughs> yeah. I do want to say they didn't use any CGI in this movie. Except there was one moment where Beauty <laughs> kicked some guy, some bad guy oh. in the stables. She <laughs> kicked him with her back feet and it was very transparent CGI to okay. the point where I turned right. to my husband and was like, whoa. I guess I mean that I appreciated that they didn't like make their like mouths move like the oh, animals didn't yeah. talk to each other they sort of just sniffed each other um so that added a sense of realism to me that that made it more watchable um I think if they had made the choice to make the animals actually talk to each other or like they do in Disney movies a lot they'll add in like a, a comic device where one of the animals is like a little friend so like a little rabbit comes up and he's like hey beauty we're gonna get you to a new house something <laughs> like that I think that would have also taken me out of it a lot so I appreciated that they stuck to the realism a little bit more um if they had those aspects it would have been significantly lower for me that's a really good point <laughs> Well, thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. And thank you again, Jess, for joining us today. Jess, do you want to just really quickly remind our listeners where they can find you and the Only You, a one and done podcast? Sure. Yes, you can find our show anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, we're active on Instagram at Only You Podcast. We're on Facebook at Only You, a one and done podcast. Our website is onlyyoupodcast.com and uh, there is a free printable of these free parenting affirmation cards on our website as soon as you get there that you can download. And if you have any thoughts or want to share your story about having an only child, you can email us at onlyupod at gmail.com. Awesome. And listeners, as always, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Check out our website at myscreentime2.com. 
You can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even Gmail at my screen time too. Please send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye! Sweet time, sweet time, sweet time.